This is a KSHSAA production. First down from the 17 is where they mark it officially. Here's Hancock breaks back at the 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Jane Hancock. Down to the other end, misses, shot won't go up the gun, and Eudora comes from way behind and goes crazy. Welcome to the latest installment of the KSHSAA podcast. I'm Jeremy Holiday. It is July 11th as we uh, look into a special project is, that we've been working on here at the Kesha office. And I'm here with Brett Marshall, uh, who has been uh, the main uh, compiler of the book and uh, uh, assisted visionary of the book, as we could say, to, to put a little piece of history in people's hands in relation to football in the state of Kansas in the last 50 years. Uh, if you haven't heard, the title of the book is Under the Lights, 50 Years of the KSHSA Football Playoffs. And um, it's something that has been uh, received very well across the state so far, I think we can say. And, and we just want to sit down and, and go into a little bit more depth about what the book is and, and give some highlights of the book and, and really just uh, summarize what you could expect when, when you get that book in your hands to, to read this piece of history. And, uh, you know, Brett, uh, first off, I just can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time out of uh, your life to do this. And I think hopefully it's been a special for you, and I think it'll be a special piece for the state of Kansas. Well, Jeremy, thanks so much for uh, having me here. And uh, this has been a labor of love. I mean, it's been a labor for sure. There's been a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of time put into this by a number of different people. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the end product, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, and I think it's going to be a great piece of history for the Activities Association to have and for the people around the state of Kansas who love high school football on Friday nights. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of small communities around the state, and we've talked about that it's not just an athletic event on Friday nights, it's a social event. It's the big social event of the, of the week for a lot of the communities around the state. And, and I think people, when they see this book, it, I think it captures the essence of, of the of the greatness of Kansas high school football, the, the programs, the schools, the players, the coaches, uh, great games, uh, how the weather is, impacts, you know, the playoffs during the month of November. I mean, there's just a whole mix and mat, match of, of different things that I think makes the book really special. Well, you know, so we sat down. It was probably the fall of 2018 moving into the winter um, in November, uh, and we thought, you know, Brett and I were talking, what's what's next for for Activity Association from a historical standpoint? And the obvious connection right away is because you're in, you're towards the end of the football season, you're looking at uh, how things are going, and and you correlate, oh, it's been 50 years of Keisha football playoffs. Let's do something on that. So, uh, you know, you kind of hit the go button, and we go. Uh, and the first first thing that comes to mind for me is we, we sit down and we said, who do we talk to? You know, we got to talk to people because I wasn't around when they started. Uh, you were in a very important way and we'll get to that later. Uh, but you know, two names that come to mind that we threw out there right away with the help of talking to some others here in the office is Art Newcomer and Kay Pierce. And I think those were two essential conversations that you had. Well, they were. And, you know, I'm going to start with Kay Pierce first because uh, in the 
1964-65 time frame, uh, four or five years before the playoffs actually came to fruition, Kay was the high school football coach at Salina High School before Salina South even existed. And he was president of the Kansas Coaches Association, and he related to me in a phone conversation that he could remember at a Kansas uh, the coaches clinic in August sometime that some of them were sitting around at the end of the day talking about, well, why don't we have postseason playoffs to determine state champions? Because, you know, the Associated Press and the Topeka Capital Journal and the Wichita Eagle all would declare mythical champions in different sizes of schools, you know, before that. And so why don't we just try and figure out a way to decide it on the field? And so Kay was right there in the middle of the discussion from the get-go. And, and at the time, Art Newcomer, he, he had moved from being the football coach at Shawnee Mission East to becoming the athletic director. And so the, the, the board of directors of Keisha, uh, they formed an ad hoc committee that was a, it was a big committee. That was the first impression that it made on me when I was going through the research. It, it had high school principals. It had some superintendents. It had some members of boards of education. It had coaches from all the different classifications at the time. There was five of them. It had the president of the Kansas Coaches Association and then some of the Keisha staff. Um, members of the board of Keisha were on there. So it's probably roughly 20 to 30 different people on, on that com ad hoc committee. That was probably formed in 1966-67 time frame, and it took them two to three years to get everything organized and get some proposals put together and something that would make sense, you know, in the postseason because up until then, at the end of October, maybe the first Friday of November, um, the nine-week football season was over, and you went into your winter sports. And now we have a whole month of football when all the other fall sports have finished their state championships, and you can really focus on football playoffs in the month of November, and it's one and done, and you get to the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and you have eight state championship games, and you have eight state championships, and it's a really cool four to five week time frame, you know, for, I think for high school sports in Kansas. I mean, even just recently, we, Brett and I were talking about uh, a simple question to firm up on the book and I, I, you called Art, called Art Newcomer. And I think for people that don't understand or don't know Art, he's, he's a pioneer for high school sports in the state. And those close to athletic administration certainly know who's, who he is. Um, so I think the conversations had with him were 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 just enlightening uh, beyond all belief, really, about this. Well, they were, and what what you do when you're researching is you have a certain uh, concept of facts, and you want to make sure that you can confirm as much as possible. So what you're putting in the book is the truth, at least to the best that you can determine. So you do, you go back and see who's available, you know, for these discussions. Uh, you know, everybody associated with Keisha knows who Bryce Durbin was. He was a longtime executive secretary. Bryce's sons, you know, were, were a huge resource in recalling what they saw with his dad, you know, with their dad. Uh, one, of, one, of the, one of the sons said, you know, he went to the Shawnee Mission South North uh, Sunflower League Championship game in 1969, which is really something we feature in the book. 
and uh, they have clear memories of what their dad was doing at the time and trying to work out a playoff system and a tie-break system, overtime, all of those things, you know, so that all, all of those different elements kind of fit in, you know, with what we were able to discover. You know, and then besides the conversations, it comes down to just reading and looking at the research ourselves and, uh, Brett, you know, for those are very familiar with how our minutes are for our board of directors meetings, our executive board meetings. We have minutes that we publish for every one of those meetings um, uh, for good reason. And obviously for stuff like this, it comes in very helpful. And, you know, I pointed to this little shelf or I guess big shelf of books, <laughs> and, of books. and said, hey, uh, there you go. <laughs> good luck. Uh, here's here's the date ranges you're looking for. Let, let me know what you find. But, you know, you get into those and you just stumble upon some interesting stuff and that's really how things come together. Well, they do. And, you know, from the first mention of playoffs in nineteen in the, one of the board meetings in 1964, and then you go all the way through to, to today, you know, there with all the changes that have been made in the in the playoff system through the years, you get a picture of the evolution, you know, and how the playoff system has changed. And there has been a lot of tweaks, and that's one of the things we put in, the, you know, Chapter 19. You know, here's, here's a timeline, and here's what's happened with the playoff system from 1969 to 2018. And I, what I take away from that is that we had an imperfect system in 1969 that allowed a few teams to qualify, but they had to have a starting point. It's expanded, it's evolved, it's improved, and now today we have a system where every single school that plays football, eight men all the way to 6A, they have a chance to determine their fate on the football field through district play, through uh, the seeding purposes, you know, for the 4A, 5A, and 6A now, uh, but everybody has a chance to determine, you know, how their season goes on the field. And I don't think you could really ask for much more than that. Well, and on that note, this is where kind of I alluded to the personal story for, for Brett comes into play. You know, my, my time during high school football, uh, this was always the case. I always knew it as you play your regular season, hopefully you get a league championship out of that. We'll go into districts, maybe some more league games take place in districts and then go on to buy districts and, and continuing on. And I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. But, you know, Brett wasn't. And, you know, without, you know, this is this is alluded to in the book and you'll read a lot about it, but without giving the step-by-step biography of it, it's, it is very important and it really lays out, you know, why this was needed. Well, it does. Uh you know, from 1962 or three all the way through 1968 before the playoffs came in in 69, there was roughly 17 to 22 or 23 undefeated schools every year. So there was a lot of contention, you know, about who's the best team. And so you had no way to, de- to determine that. It was everybody would thought, well, we're the best. Well, now we, now we know it's decided on the field. Uh, and, of course, you know, my story was that my senior year of high school was the 1969 football season, graduate of 1970, and I grew up in Syracuse, in a little tiny town almost in Colorado, and we were a 2A school, and we happened to go 8-0, and and we did not make the playoffs because of the very complicated point system that they had devised. And it was the best that they could come up with at the time, and I don't when I look back, I would I would think that the committee people and even Art Newcomer alluded to this that, that 
we, we thought we had a good system for the start. He said, in looking back now, we see all the things that we didn't have right, and we, but we fixed those, you know, over time. And so, you know, there were only four schools in the smaller classifications that, that qualified for the state playoffs those first two years, and unfortunately, because of the points, Syracuse got left out, but so did other schools, too. Uh, there were six undefeated schools in Class 2A that year, and the one I probably feel most sorry about, other than my own school, was Onega. They went 9-0, and gave up one touchdown and one two-point conversion to Silver Lake, and did not get to play in the playoffs. And there were two of the four teams that were in the playoffs that, that had one loss during the regular season, and they got in because they were just their point system worked better you know, in their, in their district. Well, you know, the funny thing is, and a little off topic, but very not so much the same, is we, we look at on a national scale. I mean, the BCS, the college, the BCS, the college football playoff, people get quote-unquote left out to be played for a championship, even though they've had either an undefeated or a one-loss season. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is it'll always evolve. It'll always be wrong for somebody, and it'll be perfect for someone else. And so that's why you look back at these and, and you look how you can change it to see if it can be better, knowing that it'll never be perfect. Right. I, I don't think there really ever will be a perfect system, but I think there's better systems. And you alluded to the BCS for Division One college. I, I think in our lifetime we'll see eight teams, then I think we'll see 16. I mean, I really truthfully believe that. Uh, the first year that they did the four, and then the second year they did the four, uh, you know, I went through all the PowerPoint, power ranking stuff and made a bracket what it would look like with 16 teams, seeding them one through 16, and there would have been some amazing matchups in the first and second round. And so I think that's what you get. And that's what I like about 6A, 5A, and 4A right now is they take the eight games and you – earn a certain number of points, you, you're seeded accordingly into the bracket, and then you get to play your way through it. And you get the best team out of the East and the best team out of the West, and you truthfully have two of the four best teams for sure playing in the championship game. And, you know, the overarching thing of all this is we will always be education-based athletics and activities. And, you know, that will never come before what we try to do here uh, we always want to put education first. And so those are the things you always we, – we want the football season to end eventually. We do because we like basketball as well. We like wrestling. We like all the things that come in the winter and the spring. So, you know, we want kids to do a lot of different things. And so those are always components we have to think of when when determining playoff and postseason structures. Uh, but it's, it's certainly good to see the history and how it has evolved. And, and this book does an incredible job of that because you'll see excerpts straight from the minutes. You'll see we've got a notes page from Nelson Hartman that uh, is with his writing on it that is very interesting about taking surveys when stuff goes into overtime and uh, all the tiebreakers that go into the playoff system is, is very well documented. And I, th I think one thing – that came up during researching for this book is, you know, Brett, Brett did a good job. We sat down and came up with what we think is needs to be in the book. You know, we try to find the obvious, but also maybe some things that people don't know about. And I think one thing that grew and grew as grew is you see the success of some coaches and you just really want to feature them. And, and one of them is, is Crewell from uh, Wichita. And I think it's something that, um, 
if people nowadays don't know who he is, they certainly should. Well, Eddie Crewell was an amazing man, and I was blessed to have been able to meet him and, and cover some of the game, championship games that he uh, coached in. Uh, and the first one that comes to mind for me is 1974, and that was my first year in the newspaper business in Fort Scott. And Cape and Mount Carmel played at Fort Scott. It was a miserably cold day. The field was frozen, and Capen won the game 14-7. to And... Uh, but Coach Crewell, you know, through his career, you know, he won nine state championships at Capen, six of them in 3A, and then three of them in Class 5A when they expanded the classifications in the late 70s. But, you know, he had an amazing record in the playoffs. He won 39 games and only lost seven. Uh, his nine championships are the most of any coach. Um, and, uh, you know, they were just, they were, in, they were in the mix every year. And, but the story behind it, Coach Crewell is that during the mid early to mid sixties he was the head coach at Wichita West. He left Wichita West in nineteen sixty six, I think it was, with a thirty three game winning streak, which they didn't get to have, play any postseason. So, but he was a great coach. He was very quiet, very humble. I think you know is the way people described him to me. Um, and he had multiple state golf championship teams at Cape and too. So he wasn't just a football guy. He, you know, he was just, he was great with kids. Um, and I know he, like a lot of other coaches, when I talk to players who, who've impacted, uh, been impacted by coaches over the years, without a doubt, their high school coaches and teachers are people that they consider to be mentors, you know, for who they are 30 or 40 years later. I think that's what stands out to me. We have a chapter on legendary coaches, and um, you know I've said this before. I think that's one of my favorite chapters because you you certainly see the con the consistency or the con the common features among those coaches, and um, and you've you've alluded to this before in our conversations, Brett. But what makes a good football program isn't I don't know if it's a secret formula. It's really not because if you look at what those coaches do with their programs, it's pretty similar. Well, it is, and, and I think it's a combination of how do you relate with kids, how do you get them to like you and understand you, respect you. Um, you, you treat the kids with respect but discipline too. So if they get off track a little bit, there's accountability. Um, you're accountable to your teammates. I mean, the thing I saw from several different coaches and their comments was, we don't want them to just be really good on the football field. We want them to be good in the classroom. We want them to be good teammates, but good classmates, good sons and daughters, um, you know, seven days a week, no matter where they are. They want them to be good citizens and good people. And I think when you do that with kids, then they respond to the coaching components of it and it is. It's all about team. It's all about giving up the individual element of you don't get, you're not selfish. Um, you could look at any teams that are successful, and particularly those who are successful over a long period of time. What do they do? They don't care who gets the credit. Uh, there's no I in team. You know, uh, it's not about me, it's about us. And that's how you, that's how you have success in the W's and L's. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Tom Young, who we've talked about in the book, he's got his own little chapter. He's the only coach to win three championships at three different schools in three different classifications. 
but his comment that stuck with me is he said, you know, it wasn't about wins and losses. It was about doing things the right way, you know, getting the kids to be the best that they could be on and off the field and to get a little bit better each day we're doing something, whether it's football, basketball, English classroom, American history, whatever it might be, today's better than yesterday and tomorrow will be better than today. You know, those are those are good points, and, and Tom Young was certainly a person that uh, was on our radar but became a bigger blip on the radar <laughs> as, as you start researching for this book because of, of what you alluded to. Um, you know, I want to – let's talk a little bit about the organization of the book um, just so people can kind of get a visual. And uh, The first thing, the cover – I think the cover is incredibly, incredibly well done. Um, you know, we, we reached out to – uh, photographer here in the state, uh, Bill Purnell, who's who works for a lot of great. Took he's taken pictures for a lot of impressive publications. I'll just say that, and and so you know we had a vision of what we wanted to do, and and that was to go to Carpenter Stadium, where a lot of big time games have been played there. So it's so there's that. Uh, we feature the ten yard line, which there's a story behind that because of. Uh, the penetration rule and the overtime rule that we now use because of this uh, system. And then, you know, just the title, obviously. But, you know, that's kind of how the cover came together. Um, and then I guess you can kind of take us through. We have 19 chapters after that uh, that feature um, hopefully the best of the best. We think we did a good job of covering that uh, for you guys. And then and then a records book that is over 130 pages long. That How many scores are in there, Brett? Well, we just tabulated them overnight. You know, I was I'm, curiosity kills the cat, as they say, but there's 4,900 playoff games over the 50 years, and that excludes the recent two or three seasons of the play-in games on Week 9, which, as, as we've talked about, the association has, has decided that Week 9 games don't actually count as a playoff game for official purposes. Uh, so that would be second round, you know, what we now call the second round games and, and beyond. So 4,900, you know, that's a lot of football games and a lot of officials and a lot of players and a lot of coaches and a lot of fans. And weather, you know, during the month of November, you know, always comes into play too. I mean, we have a chapter on the weather and how it's impacted state championships Saturday and and uh, and I have some of my own you know weather stories and uh, of course I've told you the funniest one for me was the fact that in 1978 the eight man championship game was Leroy at 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 Moscow and it was so foggy that I drove by Moscow and missed it <laughs> and and I had to turn around and come back and I barely found it the second time and I've never been to a game on a 100-yard field or an 80-yard field where I could stand in one end zone and not see the other end zone, but I couldn't see the east end zone from the west sideline, from the west end zone that day. They had the lights on, too. Those conversations were really fun to have during doing this book because that I don't think we set out a table of contents that said, hey, let's talk about the weather. But the more and more stories you tell, and you know Harold Bouchard, who was a good contributor to the book, you know, he was up here in Topeka going out to dinner. All of a sudden, you start talking about those little quirky things, and you go, gosh, that's got to be in the book because those are just incredible stories. And so a weather chapter blossomed out of that. And, and you know, I've had my own in, in a short amount of time that I've worked here at the High School Activity Association of just 
We got the Ice Bowl in there. We've I've, I've had, a, had a foggy game, Victoria and Attica. I think it was just incredibly foggy. But that's what makes football football. I mean, just an element that adds. Doesn't subtract. I think it adds. Well, if this wasn't a state championship game, but the semifinals a few years ago, Holcomb went to Andale to play. I couldn't see Andale. I, seriously, you couldn't see across the field from the press box to the to the visiting sideline. I mean, it was that was a crazy night too. So, I mean, I think everybody that's ever been to a game in November probably has experienced a really nasty weather. I mean, rain and snow and ice and wind and uh, you know, I remember uh, it would have probably been nineteen eighty. Some, I think right around 1980, I was working at Hutchinson, and Mead, Mead played McLeod in the 2A state championship game. The game was at Mead, but the wind was blowing 30 to 40 miles an hour out of the south, and McLeod uh, won the coin toss and decided to, uh, that they wanted the ball. So Mead took, had the wind, and three minutes into the game, McLeod was three and out, and their net punting for two punts was minus five yards, and Meade had about 20 yards to go for two different touchdowns. They're up 14 to nothing. They won 28 to nothing. Game was over. And so you just think about how the weather can impact, you know, the outcome of a game, too. And it certainly has. I think it's there's there's certain reason to believe that it does impact a game, especially at a state championship. You hope that it doesn't at a state championship game, because you want everybody at their best, but it's an outdoor sport. It is. And we learned that more than ever this past spring with our championships, but outdoor sports are, are a lot of fun. Uh, the records book, I, anybody that is a stats person is going to really, really enjoy this. Um, I can't thank Harold Bouchard enough for, for helping compile uh, most of this. Uh, but one thing I enjoyed about it was there were a few years that we couldn't track down stats for. You know, it's like here, either here in the office or on on the internet somewhere. So so Brett and I packed up and went to the historical museum just just over here across uh, just down the way from our building, and it was I, I really enjoyed that because I I'd, I'd never heard of the term microfish before, and you know we'd look up a uh, year okay. I'm looking for the 78 championship game stats, and so you look for November, and hopefully the Capital Journal would have it, and and then you reel this film over uh, a projector, I guess you could say. I felt like I was in a Netflix special, you know, researching a... You're a, spoiled with all the technology. <laughs> a serial killer or something. Because I, I, I guess I watched too we much We gave you a good stuff, historical but, lesson, didn't, right. didn't we? But what stood out to me, and I think in, in some way... It's almost hard for someone like Brett to talk to talk about because the coverage of high school sports, but football in general, because that's what we were looking at, was just immaculate. I mean, we would find five-page spreads to go devoted to a preview of the state championship and a wrap-up of the state championship, and you know everybody's got the reasons for why you don't see that anymore. But that was really, really cool for me to see. Well, it was the it was the golden time, you know, for 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 coverage, you know, in 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 the newspaper industry and sports in general. You know, we had bigger staffs, we had photographers who were really really good, and you know, depending on what the size of the paper was, you could always find somebody to write. So, the bigger papers had every single state championship game covered, 
you know, with a writer and, and most of the time a photographer too. So you'd see these big spreads, you know, the front page of the Capital Journal, Wichita Eagle, Hutchinson News, Salina Journal, all of them. You know, they had front page coverage, you know, big two and three page spreads and detailed information and the cool part of the research. And, and Harold gets credit for this one because I hadn't thought of it at the first, but we figured out why don't we find see what we can find with all the state championship games and see if we could find the game statistics? And it was just a, it was a combination of team and individual. And he came here to Topeka three times, I think, and spent four, all day, you know, going through. And I sat with him over there and did part of it too. But he compiled everything after we had it all together. And, and we now have 50 years of state championship game statistics. And in the book. You know, he's compiled a whole set of records for individual and team categories. Uh, I think we've got 20 individual categories and 15 team categories for each classification. And it's just an incredible amount of statistical information that I think people are going to be interested. You know, it takes like 243 yards rushing to make the top 10 in one of the classifications on an individual rushing game in a state championship. That'll be a really good section of the book, just... I was at a, a Father's Day celebration um, earlier, you know, last month, and I started talking to my, my dad and my uncles about the book, and, I mean, immediately they started talking about, you know, championship games that they know about and and wondering how that ranks. And, you know, I go back and look, and, yeah, they got their butt whooped. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're definitely on the wrong side of history there on that game records. But I told them that, and I think they, they knew that. But, you know, they, they were there, and they had a good time talking about it. Um, you talk about the golden age and uh, the writers for, for high school sports, and, and we still, well, you know, some of them have been retired, and we still got some good ones here in Kansas uh, that, are, that are still contributing to uh, featuring high school athletes. Um, and students, and, and they were a very key piece to the book, is uh, if, if we found a story that was would be better told locally, you know, Brett reached out to who he thought would make sense, and, and they were more than willing to write a story for the book and write a chapter, and I think uh, we owe them a, a lot of credit. Well, there's 11 others aside from me, and it, it's a who's who, you know, of sports writers for the last 45 to 50 years, and and... So, you know, Bob Lutz and Joanne, Joanna Chadwick from the, who worked at the Wichita Eagle, Brad Howyer at the Hutchinson News, uh, Rick Peterson and Brent Maycock currently, you know, with the Capital Journal here in Topeka, but also Rick Dean and Kevin Haskin, who had monumental years at the Capital Journal, uh, Larry Moritz and, and Harold Bichard at the Salina Journal, Nick McQueen, uh, Connor Nickel from the Hayes Daily News. The, the cool part of what they did is what they wrote about is what they covered. I mean, they actually were there, you know, so they're the ones that can do it the best, and they did an amazing job with the different stories. I mean, you in the book, you've got the Crewell, Jim Davey from Wichita Southeast uh, years where Cape and Mount Carmel and Southeast for about a six-year period, one of them won the City League Championship, but both of them might have won a state championship in the same year. You have Derby, you have Hutchinson's run of six years, you've got Olathe North's time frame, Claflin, uh, now Central Plains, Hanston, the Mighty Elks, you know, they had their time in eight-man football. Midway Denton, uh, Pittsburgh Colgan, 66-game winning streak, Claflin, 51. A cool part of that whole Class 2-1A is that 
Claflin had 51 wins in a row, and Pittsburgh Colgate ended their streak in a state championship game. Colgate had a 66-game winning streak. They got it snapped by Smith Center, who then began, began the longest winning streak ever in Kansas, 79 games, all in the same classification, all in the state championship game. That's where the winning streak started and ended, which is kind of a cool, you know, historical note, yeah. you know, to, to have discovered, you know, because I wouldn't have had any idea about that. Well, you know, the High School Activity Association thanks those writers um, as a whole for their contributions to the book. It'll be having that personal touch, that local feel will just add to it, and I can't I can't thank them enough. You know, as we kind of come to a close here, uh, real quick, I'll just me- remember you can buy the book now uh, up until August 1st at, at a discounted rate of $15. Uh, just go to kshsaa.org, and you can, you can hit the link right there and buy the book, and you'll... We expect to have that in your hands around August 15th. Uh, we're closing up on uh, uh, some final edits. We, we like where we're at. It's looking good. Um, so we'll get that off to the printers as soon as we can and hopefully get it in your hands. Uh, but, you know, Brad, just one final, I just want to say thank you to, to the work you've done. Um, you know, thanks to our staff here um, that have, have spent some extra hours on this uh, in addition to their, their other duties and, because uh, I think it's going to be an important uh, piece of our history, and 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 I think many many people will have a conversation about football. I think when I've, me personally, when I've dove into the stories and and just working on it, you know, at the end of the day, when it what's in my hands, I, hopefully it brings back my story, you know, of just my personal Friday night story with my with my buddies and coach, you know, so. I hope that that's what it creates. I'm not going to have any stories of Rock Creek in here because we didn't, you know, we didn't win any state championships. But that doesn't take away anything that football taught me, and I, I think that that's what I hope this creates. Well, I think it will, uh, you know. And I've I've been around athletics all my life, you know, from a kid to all the way through high school and college, either having played some or written about them, and you know, a lot of life lessons, uh, you know. Just trying to be the best that you can be, and uh, and treat people with respect and dignity. And if you do that, then I think people will, you know, respond to those kinds of things. And and like I said, I think Friday night football, uh, it's once a week. It's the only sport that I can think of that's only one game per week. You know, basketball is usually twice a week. Volleyball a couple of times. I mean, same with baseball, softball. All of those others is more than once a week. And so having it at the end of the week, work week, people, you know, are done with their, you know, Monday through Friday jobs and they get together and have barbecues and cookouts, tailgate at a a game and then sit and watch their kids play. And what better way to celebrate, you know, life, I think, in general and to see kids who don't get paid to play high school sports. They do it because they love the sports and uh, it teaches them lifelong lessons and the last thing I'll add, you know, to this was this chapter that I did on the four players who played high school ball, played on state championship teams or played in state championship games, but also played at the collegiate level and in the NFL. And all four of them that I interviewed, to the, to the each individual, their fondest memories of playing sports were Friday night football. That just that's what they remember most. Uh, all of them stay in touch with their high school coaches who are still alive, you know, and that's qu- quite impressive to me that uh, that's the impact that high school football and coaches have had on those guys. 
Yeah, it certainly is. It's good to see that from your most uh, prominent people that have played the game in the state. They still know where it came from. And, uh, you know, like I said, buy the book now online. But after it's, you know, it is printed, we have it, have it in our hands, we will have uh, many opportunities throughout the state uh, from, from border to border to hopefully be at local games on Friday nights and have some book signings here and there with Brett and, and maybe some coaches at those games, uh, rivalry games, to, to get your hands on it there as well. So uh, stay tuned for that information. We'll make sure you're well aware of where we'll be and, and when to get it. Uh, but I'll just say thanks to everyone that does uh, get a copy of this book so you can kind of continue the message. That's what it's all about is keep telling the story. Thanks, Brett. More than 7.7 million American teenagers participate in high school sports every year, including about 103,000 here in Kansas. They're all learning essential life lessons, like the importance of hard work, time management, and self-discipline, skills that are helping them become better leaders and more active, responsible citizens. This message presented by the Kansas State High School Activities Association and the Kansas Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association.